Bibles, invite you to turn with me to the book of Romans as we uh, continue our <clears throat> preaching series through the book of Romans. We come this morning to one of those critical junctures and transitions in the books. We've, we've finished now Romans 9 through 11, that section on the salvation plan for Jews and Gentiles. And we come now to Romans chapter 12, which is really the, the beginning of the sort of the exhortation section, the, the practical implications, the outworkings of the gospel. Uh, we begin in, in chapter 12, and that'll take us through chapter 15. So that uh, is a, one of those uh, important transitions in the book of Romans. And this morning, we're, we're looking at Romans 12, verse 1. Uh, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 are not only familiar verses, but really uh, dense and uh, important and uh, again, at that critical junction, that transition place, we're going to take, uh, take those two verses in two weeks. So Romans 12, verse 1, is our focus this morning. I invite you to bow as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word. Lord God, we praise You for who You are. We praise You, O Lord, as our holy and mighty, and awesome, and merciful God. We praise you for the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we praise you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through your word. And I pray now that you would give us ears to hear and give us eyes to see and hearts to receive the deep truths of your word. Lord, may they be planted deep in us. And may it bear fruit of abundant change and transformation for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word this morning. <clears throat> Romans 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You may be seated. <clears throat> Philip Yancey <clears throat> once wrote about a, a man who, who went to a monastery for just a few days of, of spiritual renewal. And when he arrived at the monastery, he was, he was greeted by a monk who, who showed him to his cell. And when he got there, the monk said to him, I hope you have a, a blessed stay, and if, there, if there's anything you need at all, just let us know, and we will teach you how to live without it. <laughs> and that was the monk's not-so-subtle way of letting the man know that, that the Christian life is a life of sacrifice. And that's the point that Paul is making in our, our text this morning. For, for 11 chapters, Paul has, has laid out the, the deep truths of, of, of God and his, his plan of salvation. So he's been, been laying this out for, beautifully for 11 chapters, and now he transitions from, from exposition to exhortation. He, having unveiled the, the wonder of what God has done, he now tells us what we should do. And the first thing that he tells us to do is to offer ourselves as sacrifices to God. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. That is really the, the only 
uh, exhortation in this verse. And uh, as we look at this, this really uh, important and familiar verse, uh, we will notice that Paul says four things about our life as, of sacrifice as Christians. So all of these are, are in the, just hidden, just right in verse 1, and so we'll unpack them and dig them out together. So we see first that our sacrifice involves the body. Uh, Paul says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a sacrifice. Now, it's significant that Paul mentions our bodies. And this mention of the body really ties into his, his broader theology of his letter. He has said throughout his letter that our, our, our sinful nature manifests itself in our bodies. Maybe you've picked up on that throughout our, our preaching series, that, that, that quite often throughout his letter, Paul makes mention of the body. So it starts with our sinful nature manifesting itself in our bodies. In chapter 1, uh, Paul describes sexual impurity as the, the degrading of the body. In chapter 3, he described uh, our sinful condition, again, in thoroughly bodily terms. He said that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And then he went on to, to show what that sin looks like in us. And he says, as it is written, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So all that, that, these all, you know, different parts of the body, and again, Paul's way of showing that our sinful condition impacts the whole self, including the body. Paul said in chapter 6 that our old self was crucified with Christ so that the, the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And so our sinful condition, in, in Paul's theology and in Paul's understanding, our sinful condition is something that we experience and, and live out in our bodies. But then if you, if you remember from sort of early, uh, from the middle of the book of Romans or middle of our study so far, Paul went on to say that our redemption in Christ is also a bodily redemption. Paul said in chapter 8, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead uh, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And he went on to say how our hope for redemption in Christ is not a hope for the soul's escape from the body, as the Greeks taught, but is a hope for renewed bodies on the new earth. And so Paul said in Romans 8, verse 23, that we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. And so Paul urged us to write living in our bodies, saying to offer every part of yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. And so in Paul's theology, in Paul's understanding, our sin is bodily sin, and our redemption is bodily redemption. And so it naturally follows that our response to God's redeeming work in Christ is a bodily response. We are to offer our bodies as sacrifices to God. Now, just to be clear... Uh, Paul is not saying, uh, some I think take that a little too far and say that uh, Paul is saying to offer only, Paul is only talking about the body. So th this is exclusively, narrowly a, a bodily thing that Paul is talking about. That, that's, I don't think that's correct either. He's not saying that we are to offer only our bodies. I think his emphasis on the body was probably a corrective uh, to the prevailing Greek thought that the body was unimportant at best and evil at worst. And so Paul is saying that we are to offer our whole selves to God, including our bodies as instruments of worship. And so we are to offer our lips to speak in God-honoring ways. 
We are to offer our, our hands to be used in service of his kingdom. We are to offer our eyes to take in words and images that, that bring him glory. We offer our ears to listen to, to his truth and to listen to those things that, that nourish our souls and strengthen our faith. We offer our feet to go with the good news of the gospel to places he is calling us to go. So the sacrifice that we offer to God is a sacrifice that involves our bodies. The second thing that we can notice from this verse is that our sacrifice is to be a living sacrifice. Paul says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And that's an odd expression. Um, I, I think the force of it is somewhat lost on us because we don't really know what sacrifice is. Uh, our, our idea of sacrifice is going without sausage on your pizza because your wife wants pepperoni instead. Or donating one of your 15 coats to a coat drive and think, oh, I was really sacrificial this year. But for Paul's original audience, that word sacrifice would bring to mind vivid and, and sort of a visceral response because of its vivid imagery of death. They, they knew what it was like to go to the altar and, and watch as the animal that was assigned as yours was slain. And so they were familiar with the, the cries of death and the spilling and a splattering of blood that, that went along with sacrifice. They would know how the whole animal was burned on the altar until the last bit of flesh was consumed. And they would, and they would remember well the aroma of, of burned meat and, and smoke. And all of this would, would come to their minds in really vivid ways when they would hear the word sacrifice. For them, the sacrifice they knew was the sacrifice of death. And so for them, the idea of a living sacrifice would, would seem like a jolting contradiction. But what Paul means by this is that the Christian life is to be a life of continual death. A continual death to self and, and living for Christ. Paul is calling us to keep, keep on laying ourselves on God's altar. He's calling for repeated and ongoing surrender to the, the violent, slashing, kicking and screaming act of dying to yourself. Dying every day to your lust and your greed. Dying every day to your worldly pleasures and comforts. Dying every day to your selfish ambitions and pride. As Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily. Day in and day out, continually, all the time, take up his cross daily and follow me. So a living sacrifice is a sacrifice of continual, as long as there's breath in your lungs, continual, ongoing, repeated death. Which is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Jesus Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Lori and I have uh, friends who serve as missionaries in Papua, Indonesia, um, they are the, the Wisely family, uh, husband and wife, Scotty and, and, uh, and Heidi, and their two kids, uh, uh, Walker and Arwen. And, and Scotty has, has recently written a book about their life as missionaries in Papua. The book is called, as you can see on, on the screen, A Wreck-Filled Adventure. Um, it's, a, it's not uh, quite out yet. It's not released yet. Uh, Lori and I have been, been working on, on editing it and formatting it and getting it, getting it together. And when I say Lori and I, it's 90% Lori, 10% me. So it's, it's, Lori's been doing the bulk of it. 70% 30 at best, 60-40 at best. In a couple weeks from now, it'll be 50-50. But 
So Lori's been working on, on, this, on this book, getting it formatted and put together. And it is, it is, a, uh, it is a challenging, convicting book to read, especially for us as Western Christians. Uh, because it's a, it's a book that's really about struggle and suffering and, and opposition and, and sacrifice. And, and the more you read, the more you realize the, the, the high cost of true discipleship. I mean, reading that book for me is like, man, I, and I, thought, I thought ministry was hard here. So Scotty begins his book with, with these words. And this, just, just, this, this is just a, a little glimpse of a, a preview of what you see elaborated on throughout the book. But this is the way he begins. In the last two weeks of writing, I have dealt with the burning of our school office to the ground, the sexual assault of one of our teachers, a junior high girl narrowly escaping rape at knife point on our campus, a plane destroyed by arson and his Kiwi pilot kidnapped and held as hostage. In all of them, that's two weeks. In all of these situations, he says, we don't even hope for justice. We just hope we can continue on for a little while longer. And throughout the book, you read about all the things that they have endured. Attempted murder, stoning, vandalism, demon possession, broken limbs without any you know, medical care nearby. And, and so you, you see throughout the book in, in, in such powerful and compelling and convicting ways how they gave up a life of comfort and wealth and security and safety for a life of opposition and hardship and poverty and loss. Their life is a challenging example of what Paul is talking about in our text. If you want to read it, I'd be happy to forward you a, uh, a digital copy, or you can look for it. It'll probably be coming out before too long. But the sacrifice that we offer to God, the point is, the sacrifice we offer to God is a living sacrifice. The third thing we see in this verse is that our sacrifice is to be holy and pleasing to God. Paul says, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. To be holy, the Greek hagios, means to be set apart, to be consecrated to the service of God. And we'll say more about about that next week, so I'm not going to dwell on it now. But, but the Christian life is to be a life set apart from the world and set apart for service in the kingdom of God. In his uh, letter to the Philippians, Paul urged us to be blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, so that, he says, we may shine among them like stars in the sky. That's what it means to be holy. We are to conduct ourselves as those who are distinct from the world. We are to shine like stars in the darkness. And I think so often instead, we, 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 many of us, or especially some of our young people, are, feel that, that pressure to sort of be, be more like the world. And it's kind of blend in a little bit and not to, not, to be, not to stand out as different. We need to get over that because the, the call of discipleship is a call to holiness, which is a call to being set apart and distinct from the world. And in this way, Paul says, our life of sacrifice is pleasing to God. It's an interesting expression all throughout the Old Testament, especially in the book of Leviticus. Uh, we read how the offerings of the people would be, uh, were to be an aroma pleasing to the Lord. You, you see that phrase again and again and again. And it was an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And it's not, like, it's not that God liked the smell of certain foods, 
Uh, it's that when his set-apart people gave themselves to him out of hearts of, of true devotion and worship, he was delighted in that. And he was pleased by that. And it's the same idea here in Romans 12. When we, when we offer ourselves to God in, in total devotion, <clears throat> when we give ourselves to the pursuit of holiness, God delights in our sacrifice. And so the sacrifice we offer, <clears throat> excuse me, is to be holy and pleasing to God. The fourth thing we see is that <clears throat> our sacrifice in, uh, is in response to God's mercy. So notice how Paul begins this chapter. He begins by saying, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. Now, the word therefore is a very important word. And you'll see this again, again and again throughout Paul's letters and throughout Scripture that when you see the word therefore, uh, it, it, it is pointing back to something. And so, the, uh, it, in this case, it points back to what Paul has been saying in the previous chapters. So Paul has spent 11 chapters laying out the salvation plan of God. And as we saw last week, and uh, the special focus of Romans 9 through 11 was that this is a plan that highlights the extravagance of God's mercy. It is by his great mercy that, that Jews and Gentiles are saved. And now then, beginning in chapter 12, Paul shows us how we are to live in light of God's mercy. So he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of this mercy that I have been laying out so, so thoroughly for all the, these, these chapters, in view of all of that, this is how you are to live, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In, in other words, in light of all that God has done for you, in light of his great mercy and drawing you into his saving embrace, this is how you are to live. You are to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. And so our sacrifice is in response to God's mercy. And this is, is really uh, typical of Paul's pattern in his letters. We've talked about this uh, many times before, but Paul, uh, usually his standard way of writing his letters is always, almost always follows the same pattern. He begins by laying the foundation of what God has done, and then he moves on to tell us what we should do in light of what God has done. And so the imperatives of faith are based on the indicatives of grace. The, the call to discipleship is based on the, the gift of the gospel. And it's critically important for us to get this right. And we're going to come back to it again and again as we, as we uh, make our way through all the exhortations in the coming chapters. Because if we, if we don't get it right, we, we can so easily wander off the path of the gospel and into the, the swamp of legalism. So we have to keep it in our minds that what we do for God, what we are called to do for God, what we are exhorted to do for his kingdom is in response to what God has already done for us. Our sacrificial living is in response to God's mercy. We see the same idea at the end of verse 1 where Paul says to offer yourselves uh, as a living sacrifice to God. And then he says this, for this is your true and proper worship. Now, the expression true and proper is a translation of the Greek word logikos, uh, from which we get the English, English word logical. And it really means the same thing it means in English. It means rational, reasonable, <clears throat> logical, or true. And so Paul is saying that the, the offering of ourselves to God in worship is really the only logical or reasonable response to what God has done for us. 
In view of his great mercy, it is only fitting and proper to offer ourselves to him. As the old hymn puts it, when, when, I, when, I, when I survey the wondrous cross, so that, that's the first part, looking at what God has done. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. When we look at what God has done, and then the hymn goes on to say, and were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. That kind of love, love so amazing and so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. When we really see what God has done for us in Christ, we realize that total surrender and sacrifice is the only reasonable response. That that half-hearted commitment is, is irrational. It just doesn't make any sense. And yet that is where I think so many of us find ourselves. We, we say that we offer ourselves to God, but we really don't give him our all. We, we are too enmeshed in, in the culture of abundance. We're too enmeshed in life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And so we sort of hobble through life with, with half-hearted worship. We give token praise to God, but our hearts are fragmented, given to a thousand different loves. And the only thing that can draw us out of that, that fragmented misery is to gaze upon the cross again and again and to see anew the wonder of God's mercy. And so the sacrifice we offer to God is in response to, in view of, his mercy. Now, when we put all of this together, really, if you want just sort of a, a one little takeaway uh, take thing from this verse, we see that Paul is calling for a life of total surrender. That, that's really, that's, that's at the bottom of everything Paul is saying in verse 1. He's calling us to offer our, our whole selves to God in continual and uncompromising devotion. He's calling us to die to our selfish ambitions and vain conceits. To, to lay every aspect of ourselves on the altar. And so it raises the question for us this morning, is, is there some question or some aspect of your life that, that you have not yet fully surrendered? Is there some part of you that you have not laid on the altar and, and offered up to God? You know, you know, maybe you have put a, a fence around certain aspects of your life, a fence around certain things that you, just, that, you, that you have not fully surrendered. Maybe you put a fence around your financial security or your relationships or your job or your home or your, your hobbies and your interests, and you're basically saying to God, I give most of myself to you. Or at least I give part of myself to you. I give the, I give, uh, you know, the, the part, this, this religious, this, 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 uh, this spiritual part, I give to you. I just can't surrender this and, and, and this and, and that. And Paul challenges us to let go of whatever it is we are holding back, to surrender everything, to offer every last part of ourselves and to say, God, it is all yours. And so we say in the words of the hymn, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days and let them flow in endless praise. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne. And take myself and let me be ever only 
all for thee. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes about the Christian life as a life of sacrifice. And he puts it this way. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there. I, I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. This is what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Let us not offer up fragments and, and half measures. Let us offer all that we are. Let us lay everything on the altar. In response to God's mercy, let us offer our whole selves as a living sacrifice. Let's bow together. Lord God, as we come before your throne in a time of silent prayer and response this morning, I pray, O oh Lord, that your Holy Spirit would search our hearts and expose to us, O oh Lord, any ways in which we have not fully surrendered to you. Lord, show us those aspects and those, those things in our lives that we are holding on to. Show us those ways, O oh Lord, in which we are resisting the full and total surrender to a life of sacrifice to you. O oh Lord, speak to us in this time of silent response. Lord God, forgive us for the ways in which we have not fully surrendered ourselves to you. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for those things in our lives that we are holding on to. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for offering fragmented hearts and only parts of ourselves to put on the altar. Lord, move within us by the power of your Holy Spirit to surrender all. Lord, may we then be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Fill us with your Spirit that we may be a living sanctuary of praise to the glory of your grace and the extravagance of your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.